0: All right, somebody. Well, listen, this is the final last part of our journey through the book of Ephesians. I know it's kind of been broken up over the last few weeks, but has anybody enjoyed this walking through the book of Ephesians? It's been pretty fun, right? I've enjoyed it. I think if, if anything, I've gotten a lot out of it, just really studying the Word of God. And, and it's just been such a blessing to my life. We're going to go over Ephesians chapter 6 today, the final chapter in the book of Ephesians. And if you've missed out on any of the previous chapters, you can go to our uh, CNC, Church on the North Coast, YouTube. Podcasts are all on there. Um, I'm also going to be releasing on my website, um, ushers, we need somebody to collect. Somebody come take Elder Alice's money over here, okay? Okay. <laughs> We got, we got Elder Alice and Karen's money. Somebody needs to take their money. Um, but if if you missed out on, on the previous chapters, you can check them out um, on our YouTube page. I'm also going to be releasing on my, my personal blog. You can just go to DominicWhitfield.com, but I'll release a written commentary from from chapter 1 to chapter 6. I'm going to do all, all the chapters. It's going to start coming out next week. So, if you're interested in reading that, you can you can check that out as well. Um, but I'm really pumped up about this. This is probably one of the one of the more popular parts of the book of Ephesians. It talks about the armor of God, and, you know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, all of these things. We're going to get into it tonight and I feel like the Lord's going to bring um, some revelation to us. But Ephesians chapter 6, here's the idea just to recap, you know, Ephesians chapter 5, we talked about this, to know Christ, to imitate Christ, and to live a happy life. Husbands, we learned this, that when you love your wife the way Christ loves his church, that's a way to live a happy life. Amen? <laughs> that, is how you, that is how you succeed as a husband. You lay down your life and you love your wife. Um, and and it's just such an incredible chapter. And so in, in Ephesians chapter 6 is what we're going to look at today. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Can we read that together? Let's read it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Whose might is it? Is it your might? Is it your strength? Your ability? No. Whose might is it? It's his. And this is the theme that we see all throughout the book of Ephesians. Remember we talked about um, earlier in the earlier chapters to be found in Christ. In Christ. That's that phrase that keeps popping up in this book. In Christ. When we are in him... We get to benefit, not from our strength, but from his strength, amen? So we're going to look at that today. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's, let's pray, invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give us the spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of you, Jesus. That over these next few moments, that Holy Spirit, you would just come in like a flood, that you would come in and you would lift the scales from our eyes so that we don't just leave here hearing good music or hearing a good word, but we leave this place beholding the one, looking and seeing at Jesus and and forever being changed by what we see. We ask, Holy Spirit, this in your name we pray. Everybody said... Amen, amen. So if you have your Bible, anybody have their Bibles with them? Come on, wave it at me if you have your Bible. Even if it's a phone, come on, you can wave your phone at me. All right, all right. It's like a little concert in here. Everybody's waving their phone. Um, all right, we're gonna tra- start at Ephesians chapter six, verse one, so if you have your Bible, go to verse one. Um, if I have any kids in the house, this is your part to listen up, okay? I don't see any kids, but if you're a parent, this is gonna make you really happy, okay? This is, this is how Paul starts Ephesians chapter one. It says, verse one, children, Obey your parents, and all the parents said, Amen. Amen. I need to tell my kids that they're a bunch of heathens. They're not obeying the word of God. Next time they disobey me, I'm like, listen, Paul's gonna come in here and smack you upside your head. You're not listening to him. No, but it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor, everybody say honor. Honor, honor your father. And your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live along, you may live long on the earth. This is what I want us to see. Stay, stay right here, go back. Stay right here. In chapter five, we talked about, we looked at how when Paul was giving instruction on how husbands and wives should relate, that hidden deep in that instruction was actually revelation of who Jesus was. Do you remember that? So as Paul was telling husbands, husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved, loves the church. What we saw, Paul bring under the, what you saw on the surface, it's a, it's a deeper revelation that Paul is revealing to us how Christ loves us. And he shared with us and showing us that Christ loved us. He gave himself, he laid down his life so that he could have a spotless bride. So, as much as that was good marriage advice, it was a prophetic revelation of who Jesus is. And in the same way, we can go a little deeper here. I want to go a little deeper in this first verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. As as Paul's putting together these two thoughts, what we can see is that we honor the Lord by obeying him. You see that? that Paul is saying, listen, kids, when you obey your parents, what you're doing is you're honoring your parents. When we obey the word of the Lord, what you're really doing is you're honoring the Lord. Does anybody want to honor the Lord in this place? Come on, wave at me. It's okay. You want to honor the Lord. This is how you honor the Lord. You are obedient to what his word says. You obey the voice of the Lord. And as Christians, when we get very obsessed with obedience, you know, I won't tell you the whole story because I feel like it's it's still it's still happening, but the Lord told me to do something today on my walk and it was really uncomfortable. I've never done it before, and I'm like, God, I'm no, I'm not doing that. That's outrageous. Like that's not even doesn't even make sense. And he said, pick up the phone and do it. And I picked up the phone and I made the phone call and I got off the phone. I'm like, that was the silliest thing I've ever done in my life. And it was awkward, it was weird, but that doesn't, that's not up to me to question those things. My job, my objective is to honor my father. As a child, as a child of the Lord, my objective is to honor my father and I do that primarily through my obedience to him. In the same way, parents, I know we get frustrated. I'm in the, I'm in the prime season, so you hear me talk about it a lot. I got a, five, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So there's just disobedience running all across my house. It's just, it's just a big disobedient house, right? So I'm in the thick of it. But, but parents, we understand that when your kids obey, you feel valued. You feel respected and honored. And in that way, man, we can love the Lord well simply by being obedient. Amen? It's really good. So verse 4, go on, it goes on to say this. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. I'm not going to lie. I might be guilty of this. <laughs> do not provoke your children to wrath. It's... it's, it's uh, it's not good, but Judah, Judah, specifically, my three-year-old, he's just so cute when he gets riled up, you know, like, like some kids, when they just get a little fussy and angry, they're just so cute, so I, I got I to gotta do better at that, you know, you guys got to keep me in check, but it says this, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is what I realized about anger, you ready? Anger is a secondary emotion. This is what, th- here's what this means, you don't just... Get angry. That is a result of something else. You become angry because you were hurt. You become angry because you were forgotten. You, were, you become angry because you, you are jealous, right? The anger is a secondary emotion. So what Paul is saying, and if you go back to verse four there, I want to read you. It says, do not lead, yeah, it's okay. Do not lead your children into anger. But that word, do not provoke your children to wrath, literally means this. Do not lead your children into wrath. So what Paul is saying is that we have to be careful, especially with our children, to make sure that we're not not just making them mad, but leading them into the ways of anger. Do you know what leads them into the ways of anger? You know, we just had a um, an incredible, incredible discipleship meeting the other night, and and, and, and James just shared some just... Man, I I wish all of you guys could hear it. It was just such wisdom, and I sat there just soaking soaking it all up. It was so powerful, and he talked about parenting and how to raise your kids and how to love your kids well, And, and what I realized is that you cannot create opportunities for your children to become mad at you, to live in anger, and here's one of the opportunities that happens is when your kids, dads, listen to me, when your kids are jealous of how much time your work receives... That jealousy will eventually lead to wrath. When there's a void of affection in your home and your children don't feel the love and the connection that they need to from, your parent, from the parents, guess what? That will eventually lead to wrath. You know, James talked about how he's made it a point in his marriage to make sure his kids see him and his wife love each other. Like, and he, he, was, he was kind of making a joke out of it that sometimes his kids would be like, oh, dad, get a room, that's gross, don't do that in here. And it's, you know, kids make a fuss of it, but the reality is, is that there's security brought into a home when kids see their parents in love. Opposite's true, there's insecurity brought into a home when kids see their parents divided. And, and all of these things, all of these things are opportunities that we get to have to not lead our children into wrath. And so Paul encourages us, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Anger is a secondary emotion. Do not lead your children into anger. Let's go on to verse 5. It says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now the, now the interesting thing is here is culturally and i am going to touch on this in a little bit we, we talk about bond servants and slavery and, and Paul addresses this here and i'm going I'm going to take a moment to to talk about it in a second, but culturally, this is a little bit disconnected for us we don't understand what this looks like culturally obviously obviously slavery happened in our in, in, in our nation, and it was this evil, evil, terrible thing um, and i'm now hear me, I'm, I'm going to give you some disclaimers here, okay? I'm not justifying, I'm not defending slavery, but what I am saying is that the slavery that we experience here in America was different than what the culture of the Jewish people displayed here in the Bible. So we'll talk about that in a second. But, but I, want us to, I want us to understand the connection again that Paul is making. He's saying, bondservants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ again. Paul is taking this very surface level instruction and he's bringing it to a deeper reality that says this: you should be committed to Christ through fear and trembling in your obedience to Him. This is how we ought to live our life in pursuing obedience to Christ. He goes on to say this: not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse seven says with. Goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality him. So I want to take a moment and talk about this because what I've heard recently come up in, in not in church, our church or anything, but just in media, that the Bible is pro-slavery. That's what I've heard in, in a couple of social media little outlets, the Bible's pro-slavery. And people quote things like this and different verses like, like that talk about slavery. But what I want to talk about is our context of slavery in America, of oppression, of, of just evil, evil is not the same context that slavery had in the children of Israel's culture. And again, all my disclaimers, you ready? I'm not justifying slavery, I'm not defending it, I'm not for it, I'm not doing any of those things. But what I want to begin for you today is some deep apologetic theological understanding about the word of God. Because what I want you to be able to do is to equip yourself to have conversations with people, not to defend the Bible, but when people bring something up to you and start quoting scripture verses, I want you to have done your homework to understand what the word of God is saying and what it means amen so I, this is what this is my thing we're not going to talk about this long this isn't this isn't where I feel like the lord's going but i do want to address this and i want you to go home and and study this but culturally in in the jewish culture and hebrew culture slaves were less of of they weren't as oppressed as we see, in, we saw in America um, in, the, in the 1700s and 1800s, right? So slavery in the Jewish nation looked like this. A lot of times, individuals who owed a debt to somebody, say they owed some money or they, they, they needed to you know, owed them whatever, they would become their servants or their slaves. Oftentimes, you would work for some other family to pay off this debt, and after your debt was paid off, you were free to go. You know, even in the story that Jesus told, the, the story of the prodigal son, the son said to himself in that story, even, even the slaves in my father's house eat better than I am right now. Remember that part? And, and what, what the context that we see in this story is that slavery wasn't as oppressive and evil as, we, as we, what we witnessed in America a couple hundred years ago, right? Oftentimes, the slaves that the Hebrew people had, they were paid, wages. They were fed. It was a little bit different in that context. Also, when you look at the year of Jubilee, anybody hear of the year of Jubilee before? What we see with the year of Jubilee, it was essentially this financial reset in, in, in the children of Israel's life, where, where after 50 years, all debts were erased, that all of these things were, were erased. And what would happen is oftentimes these slaves who were trying to pay off a debt, the year of Jubilee would happen, and they had two options, Right. They could be released from their debt and they can move on with their lives or the Bible tells us that, that the, person who, the, the person who they were serving could take a little little needle thing and put a notch in their ear and then they could essentially commit themselves to that person for the rest of their life. And they can say, you know what, I'm, this is, I'm making good money here, I'm eating good, I just want to wanna live in your house and I want to work for you. And so this is the context. It wasn't, the, the context in the, in, the, in the Hebrew Jewish culture wasn't racially motivated. It wasn't, it wasn't evil in that sense. You, you get what I'm saying here? It, it was, I, I, I equate it to this when I think of, of the instruction that the Lord provided for slavery. I equate it to this, to the way God handled divorce in the law, right? Because divorce is not and was never God's intention, Right? And I don't say that to beat anybody up here who got divorced, but what I am saying is this, is that God understood that there was a broken reality to society, and so he gave instruction in, in the midst of that brokenness. And so he, he gave framework around divorce in the law, not because he, he desires it or it's his intention, but... He knows we're a fallen people. And I believe this, this is a similar thing when it comes to the slavery that God talks about in the Bible and here what we see in, in, in Paul describing as well. It's not, no, God doesn't want anybody to be slaves. But the reality is we live in a, fall, a fallen world and that things happen to people and Paul's giving instruction to that. And so um, I want, you know, obviously there's a lot more to cover there. We don't have time to look at it, but I do want you to go into that. I think it's worth studying. I think it's worth looking into just understanding the context of that. We have such a terrible, terrible history history with slavery in this nation, you know, I don't ever want to disrespect that, but I also know this, that the enemy is crafty, and the enemy is very wise, and what he can do is he can take a half-truth here and a half-truth there, and he can mislead a generation and a people, and so the church, we, like, hmm, I think it's in, where is it in Ephesians? Oh, man, I think it's Ephesians 5 something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it says, do not be unwise but know what is the will of the Lord, and essentially what Paul is saying there in Ephesians is do not be ignorant, but know what the will of the Lord is, and so that's what I want us to do. I want us to dive into that and really understand what the Lord is is saying in that, so let's go on to verse 10. Verse 10, it says this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That looks familiar, right? See, I didn't make that up. I just took that out of scripture. Let's read it together. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Again, going back to what we see Paul thematically reminding us to do all throughout the Bible. Be found in Christ, in him, in the Lord is where we find our strength. Verse 11, he says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, we, we've probably all heard this verse once or twice before. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so Paul's setting up the framework for, as Christians, where we fight and how we fight, right? And so he's saying, listen, you're not fighting one another, you're not fighting flesh and blood, your battle lies in the heavenly place, in the spiritual realm, right? We all know that. You're here on Wednesday night, so you, you're a mature Christian, right? In verse 14, he goes on to say this, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Everyone say truth. You know, when when you first read this, my mind automatically goes to the Word of God, right? Does anybody else? When you hear truth, you just think Word of God, right? I do too, just because when you think of truth, you think the Word is truth, and the truth is the Word, and it's the Word of God. But in this context, Paul's not actually talking about the Word of God because later he 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 says that the sword of the Spirit. Is the word of God. So this truth has to be something different. And when I look into this word, um, the 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 Greek word is aletheia there, uh, for truth, and it it really means this integrity. This is the definition: that which is in accord with what really happens. And so when Paul's saying to gird yourself with truth, he's not necessarily saying the word of God here. What he's saying is that you need to conduct your life with integrity. You need to live according to what is right, to what is true. You need to pursue truth and live an integrous life. Remember the context of what we're talking about. This is a part of the armor of God which enables you to withstand the enemy. Integrity... Integrity in a Christian's life enables a Christian to withstand the attacks of the enemy. What the devil does is even if you open that door a little bit, he begins to bust through it. And what integrity does, it makes sure that door is locked, sealed, and no one can get through it. This is what my grandfather told me a long time ago. He said, Dominic, you will never catch me in a closed room with a, with a woman that's not my wife. I said, Why? Because, because there's a lot that could go wrong, and, there's, and even, if, even if nothing goes wrong, he said this, stay above the appearance of evil. Don't even entertain the appearance of evil. What is that? That's truth that's girding your waist. That is truth around a believer's life that it, that says this, I'm not afraid of the enemy. I'm not afraid of what might go wrong, but I'm not giving you any opportunity, devil, to try to do anything crazy in my life. I'm gonna live my life according to what is right what is true and I'm not going to give you or anybody else an opportunity to bring a seed of division a seed of doubt a seed of gossip a seed of anything into my life because I know how the devil works if you give him a little inch he takes a mile every single time and integrity in a believer's life is is the belt that we wear to hold everything else together right what happens when you got pants on but no belt your pants fall down A lot of Christians' pants are falling down. Your armor is falling apart. Why? Because you don't have integrity. You don't have integrity that holds it together, right? And the idea here is this, is that you can have talent. You can have ability. You can preach really good. You can sing really good. You can be the best, you know, children's church worker, whatever the case is. But if you don't have integrity, eventually everything in your life will fall apart. Because you don't have the character to to withstand and operate in what God has called you to do. So gird yourself at your waist with the belt of truth. Integrity, that which is in accord with what really happens. Then he goes on to say this. Oh, also, these little parentheses and, and italicized words, this is, this is the Dominic version of the Bible. So this isn't in the word. This is just what I added in, okay? Um, he goes on to say this. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. righteousness. Now. I know because I know you and I love you guys, I know that Paul's not talking about your righteousness. <laughs> Do you know why? Because your righteousness doesn't look like a breastplate. It looks like a dirty dish rag. <laughs> right? Because we don't have righteousness. We're not righteous people. And so when, when Paul is saying put on the breastplate of righteousness, what he's saying is put on his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, on your breastplate. The Lord's righteousness guards our most vulnerable areas. And this is what I want us to see. The breastplate covers all this, right? You know the police officers, they wear bulletproof vests. You know, like the the torso, this body part right here houses all of your vital organs. I mean, you're talking about your heart, your lungs, your intestines. Everything that's important goes on right here. And and what Paul is saying here is you need to be covered in your most vulnerable areas, not by your own righteousness, not by your own works, but by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. What you and I have to understand is that we have to be found in Christ because when we're not found in Christ, everything that's weak in us is exposed. Everything that's wrong in us is exposed. The Bible says this, that in the book of Exodus, that Moses was instructed for the children of Israel to paint the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. Why, that blood pointed to the righteousness of Christ, and it didn't matter what was going on inside, if that angel saw the blood, he passed over it. This is the power of the breastplate of righteousness. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, no evil can come against you. It has to pass over you. Why? Because your most vulnerable areas, your weaknesses, your insecurities, your sin, your, 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 all of it, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. But when you and I try to move outside of his righteousness and wear our own breastplate, guess what? That little filthy rag isn't going to stop anything. It's not going to do anything. You will, you, you will be defeated, and it won't even be by the enemy. You will be defeated if you try to approach the Lord in your own righteousness. You will be defeated, and it won't even by the, be by the devil. It'll be by, by the Lord. Ask Uzzah what happened when he tried to walk in his own righteousness and stick his hand out to stop the Ark of the Covenant from falling. He met the, the mighty God. <laughs> He met the presence of the almighty God. When he stepped out in his flesh and he approached God almighty, he met God almighty and he lost his life. And the truth is, is that none of our righteousness, if, if, if any of us lived in our own righteousness, man, like, I, I, think, I think we don't fully understand, Pastor Tossi, the the, I, the reality of how much the blood covers us. I don't think we fully understand because these high priests would go into the the Holy of Holies and they would experience the presence of God and if they weren't careful, they would die on the spot. Like Ananias and Sapphira, remember that story, they walked in their own righteousness, they died on the spot. Like we do not serve a God who is weak and passive and unable and unjust, right? We serve a God who is loving, who is kind, but who is dangerous, and if you are found outside of the righteousness of Christ, your righteousness is going to be, God is going to need an account for your righteousness. And it's going to fall short. <laughs> it will fall short. And as Christians, like, we got to get to a place. I got to this place today. I was just like, God, I just need, I just need you. I don't know. Like, I try to do this, and I think I'm doing good, but I, I just need you to help me because ultimately I have nothing to offer you, God. And this is the idea of of wearing the breastplate of righteousness, of saying, Lord, would you guard my heart, guard my mind? Would you cover me with your righteousness in this moment? Because mine won't cut it, Jesus. Mine falls short every single time. Verse 15, Paul goes on to say this, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I want, when I, I, want to, I want to kind of look at this a little bit because this was so interesting to me. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul, goes on, Paul says this, and again, this is just a couple chapters earlier. He said, he, Christ, is our peace. He is our peace. And this is a section of scripture where Paul's talking about how Jesus came and he became our sin, right? Because the idea w- it was that God and man were in this eternal war, this eternal battle where God had righteous requirements and man couldn't keep them. And so there was this back and forth punishment, back and forth with God and man. And Jesus came in as man, fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, thus creating peace finally between God and man. And so what Paul's saying, oh yeah, you didn't have to go there, you can go back. Let's read it, since we're there, go ahead. Can you go back? Let's read it, it's good. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, as so to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. This is what Jesus did. He, he, didn't, he didn't just give peace. He was peace. He is peace. He is the reason that we have peace between God and man. Go ahead. You can go back to, to, the, to the slides there. And so here's the idea, to walk in peace with the Lord. Walk in this understanding. Paul, Paul says this to, does that look weird on yours? Um, I think you got, a, you got the overlay there going on. Nice. There we go. Boom. Jason's the man, man. He can figure anything out. You need to come over to my house. I was having trouble with Google today. Man, did, I know this is a side note, but does anybody else have the like, Google stuff in their house? No, just me? Well, so I don't really do remotes and everything. I just tell Google what to play on the TV. I just say, hey, Google, turn this on. And man, sometimes it doesn't work, and it's hilarious because me and Emily are just yelling at this like, little Google machine. We're like, Google, play this. Ah! And the kids are like, what are you doing? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Um, anyways, so Paul is saying this, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This, this whole phrase here, having shod your feet with the preparation, basically what, what Paul is saying this what this phrase means is tying, like it, it, for us, it would be tying your shoes and getting ready. It would be getting ready. Getting ready to do something. Getting ready to run, right? Getting ready to walk around. So Paul is saying, listen, prepare yourself, prepare your feet to walk in the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news of peace, prepare yourself to walk in the good news of peace. And the idea is this, that as Christians, we walk in who, we walk in what Christ has done for us by being our peace, that we are walking in this incredible time that should not be taking, should not be underrated or taken lightly. We are walking in moments right now on this earth, we're not waiting to get to heaven one day doing this, we're walking right now in this peace between God and man. This peace, this this word peace here in the Greek, it's irani, and it means this harmony, it means tranquility, and it's the translation from the Greek to the Hebrew for shalom, peace. It's this idea that, that all is well. It's this calm, this harmony with God. And Paul's saying this, listen, walk in peace. Here's the idea that I want to submit to you today. What, if, if we walk in peace, what does it look like to walk out of peace? This is what walking out of peace looks like. It looks like returning, it, I'll say it this way, it looks like a dog returning to its vomit. That's probably the best way to see, say it. Because what it looks like is it, it looks like you being freed from sin. It looks like the war between God and man being ended in your life and then you walk back to the thing that God wants warred against you with. It looks like walking back to your vomit, your sin, your, the mess that you were brought out of. In the book of Hebrews it says this, if, if we as Christians return back to sin, we're we doomed because we can't go back and re-crucify Christ, right? And so this is idea that what, if we wanna walk in this harmony and peace with God, we have to walk in the righteousness that God has designed for us and we have to be obedient to his word. And this isn't a, th- listen, this isn't a threat of saying if you mess up, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is, if, if I understood that something broke God's heart and I received forgiveness from that thing, even if, even if I can get off with it, even if I can, if I can get away with it and still go to heaven, Why would I return to that? Why would I return to that thing that hung Jesus on a cross? Why would I entertain that foolishness that at one point in time separated me from God? Why would I go back to that thing for a momentary pleasure just because I know that I won't go to hell for it? Just because I know I won't have consequences for it? Just because I know I can get away with it? No, that's not true love. That's not what love does. Love walks in peace. Love appreciates the peace that Christ has created for us. And say, Jesus, I'm going to prepare my my feet to walk in what you've created for me. I want to to walk in this peace, Jesus. I don't want to go back to the things that broke your heart. So that's what Paul is saying here in, in verse 15. Verse 16, he goes on to say this, and above all... Taking the shield of faith. Everyone say faith, really loud. Faith. faith. What is faith? Faith, this word faith literally means this, the assurance or confidence in the Lord. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How do you quench the fiery darts of the wicked one? It's your confidence in the Lord, your faith in him, your belief, your assurance in who God is. Let me show you how, it, let me show you when this went wrong for an individual. You ready? This is what not having your shield of faith up looks like. Eve was in the garden, and the enemy came to Eve and said, Did God really say? Now, in that moment, Eve had two choices. She could have held up her shield of faith meaning returning to her confidence and assurance in who God was and say, yes, God did say this because I'm confident and I'm assured in who the Lord is. But Eve was caught with her shield down. And she said, you know what, now that you say that, I don't know if the Lord really said that. What was she saying? She's saying, I lack confidence and assurance in who the Lord is. And this is how the enemy wiggles his way into our life. He gets you when you lack confidence in the Lord. That moment in your, in your life when you're laying on your bed, and it's like one in the morning, you should be sleeping, but you can't stop rehearsing the events of the day, and you're saying, man, God, if you were real, you would, you would have done X, Y, and Z. Man, God, I, I, man, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you're able to do that. And it's, it's in these small questionings, and I don't think it's wrong to have these questions and conversations, but as a Christian, we always have to return back to our shield, If we don't hold that shield up, you can question, you can talk to God, you can have these difficult conversations, but it always has to end with confidence and assurance in the word of God. We see David do this time and time again. Even Job do this in in the Bible. We see these tough questions, these prayers, these laments, these these agonizing cries, but David would always end his sad psalms with, but I have faith in the Lord, but I trust the, the God of Israel, right? It always ends in confidence and assurance in who the Lord is. That's your shield. That's how we stop those fiery darts, those attacks from the enemy. The enemy is going to try to come in and question and remove your confidence. You can't let him do that. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17 goes on to say this, and take, that word take there means this, to accept or receive. Receive. To accept or receive the helmet of salvation. What a beautiful gift that you and I get to receive. We get to receive the helmet of salvation. When I was reading this, I was reminded of the scripture verse where it says that the oil was flowing down Aaron's head, down to his beard, onto his robe and tunic, and all the way down to his feet, right? Where did the oil begin? It began in his head. And this idea that, that salvation begins here and it covers everything. And this is, the head is the beginning, right? It's, it's you know, Jesus is referred to as the head in Colossians, in Colossians chapter one. He's, he's the head of the church, the firstborn among all creation. He's preeminent, right? The head refers to the beginning, the first. And this is where your spiritual life began, right here. And Paul's saying, crown your head with this gift that is salvation. And the sword of the Spirit Hebrews 4 chapter 12, you don't have to go there, but we we remember that scripture verse that says, the word of God is alive and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, divining spirit and soul and joint and marrow and and thoughts and intents of the heart, right? This is what the word of God is. The word of God is not a, a textbook. The word of God is not a history book. The word of God is not just a love story. The word of God is alive and active and the word of God is the person of Jesus. And when we understand the word of God, when we know the word of God, It is our weapon against the enemy It is our sword You know, one of the things I was telling Pastor Clarence the other day is I love, excuse me, I love how Pastor Clarence gets on this stage And he can just start reciting scripture verses, right? Boom, 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 boom He just goes I'm like, man, I want to do that I want to be able to have the word in me like that Does anybody else want that? Do you want the word? Not just where you're just reading it and thumbing through it But man, it's in you It's alive in you because what happens is when the word's in you and the enemy comes against you, the word comes out of you. But if you don't have anything in you and the enemy comes against you, Netflix comes out of you. <laughs> or what you saw on Twitter comes out of you or, or YouTube comes out of you. And it's like, whoa, well, those things, don't, those things aren't alive. They're not powerful. They're not sharper than any two-edged sword. And remember, where we're fighting, we're not fighting flesh and blood. So those things don't have any effect. Those things don't work with the enemy. The only thing that works against the enemy is the word of God. That's it. It is your it is your sword, which is the word of God. He say, he says there in verse 17, "And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God." And so that's the armor pieces, right? That's your defense, that's your weapon, that's your shield. Those are the things that you and I should be wearing, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. That's what we have as Christians. Now, Paul goes on to show us this, how we fight as Christians, okay? So he's showing us here, this is what we fight with. In verse 18, he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. That seems a bit redundant, Paul. Paul says, "List praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. It's like how many different times can you say prayer? Was anybody at the marriage conference this past weekend? Do you remember the Jeopardy game where on the board was like five different ways they said uh, career? It was like job, career, employment. It was hilarious. It's kind of one of those inside jokes, but uh, it wasn't Jeopardy, what was it? What game were we playing? Family Feud. Remember Family Feud where you like guess like what the like we interviewed 100 people and and I think the question was like what would keep men from marrying a woman or something like that and all six answers were all the same thing. They were just different ways of saying the same thing. It was really funny. Um, but but this is kind of what Paul's doing. I'm rabbit trailing there. But anyways, Paul's just saying, listen, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So this is this is what we have to understand as Christians, though. This is the reality. The armor and the sword is what we fight with. Those that's your equipment. Prayer is how we fight. Right? Do you see the difference? It's like you you have. Your tools of engagement, right? But this is the battleground. This is the battlefield. This is where you fight. This is how you fight. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The Lord really convicted me today because I was struggling a little bit in the last few days. And I was telling some of the guys this uh, last night, I think we had our our discipleship group, but I was telling some of the guys in our discipleship group, I was like, man, I just kind of, I just kind of was in a funk. That was a funk with a K, okay? Just funk, just so you know. Anybody else been in a funk before though? You know, like you're just, you're not like depressed, you're not sad, you're not sinning, you're not doing anything crazy, you just are like, blah. You know, I was just bah the last couple days, I'm like, man, why am I blah? And I was really convicted um, today because normally what I try to do every day, and obviously I, I haven't been good at it, but what I try to do is, is go on about a 20, 15, 20-minute 20 walk, and just that's my prayer time. I can seek the Lord. I can pray. And I had been missing those times, and I hadn't had one of those times in a while. And the Lord just convicted me, and he said, Listen, you have all your, you have all your gear on, but you're not, you're not going anywhere to fight. That's like putting on all of your gear and then staying at home. That's like getting all dressed up, like JT getting dressed up for his football game, but then just hanging out in the living room. (laughs) And you're like, JT, bro, you can't score any touchdowns in the living room? What are you doing, right? But we have a a bunch of Christians who are all dressed up in their shiny armor sitting on the couch. Because we, we have what we fight with, but we don't ever actually go fight. We don't actually ever make time with prayer and supplication to go into the battleground and say, "You know what? I'm going to go to war with the enemy today. He's going to know my name today. I'm coming on the battlefield today," right? And the idea is this that not only do you have to have what you fight with, but you need to make time in your life to fight. And let me say this, I love what, I love that Paul says this in making supplication for all the saints. Do you pray for the bride of Christ? Pray for the bride of Christ. Like that's something that the Lord's placed on my heart so, so much in the last few months is don't just pray for CNC. I mean, please pray for CNC and pray for the pastors and leadership and all that stuff. But man, pray for the church, the bride of Christ all over this world. I mean, there's Christians that are going through it, man. They're getting persecuted. They're, they're, they're really having a difficult time here and, and we won't get in the game, like get in the game and pray for the bride of Christ, Get in the game and pray for your family, pray for your wife, pray for your kids, pray for for your neighbors. Like like you have everything that you need. You're fully equipped with the armor of God. Now get in the game and start playing it. Start playing it. And I feel like, I'll say this for me, I feel like one of the, not missing pieces, but one of the pieces that the Lord's going to really amp up here in the next few weeks is prayer. I feel like this this pull to prayer. I feel this pull to these times dedicated to prayer. You know, Elder Alice and her her gang, you guys are here every Thursday, right? At 12? 12 to 2. If you have time, tomorrow, 12 to 2, be here and go to war with Elder Alice. Because these things, it's in these moments where we really see God work and we're able to fight and we're able to really see things change, the kingdom of God established on this earth. It's powerful. Being, Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Verse 19, he goes on to say this, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, it, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21, he, he ends, the, uh, ends, the verse here, or ends the chapter here by by these next few verses, he says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tycheus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. He concludes Ephesians by saying this, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord jesus christ in sincerity amen if you can do me a favor let's go back to the idea at the at the top of the top of the there you go so be strong in the lord and in the power of his might if there was a theme for the book of ephesians or one sentence that i can say paul really is emphasizing throughout this whole book it would be this be found in christ be found in christ if you don't hear anything else from the, the last five six weeks that we've been doing this hear this be found in christ in him in him you're going to live a good life stand to your feet with me as we close tonight holy spirit we just love you we thank you for your word we thank you jesus for the sword of the spirit the word of god Thank you that the word is not just a textbook or history book, but it's alive, it's active, it's, it's eager to en- engage with us, it's e- eager to mold us and shape us. And, and Lord, right now, I just pray that you would just, you would meet our hungry hearts with the, with the word of God, the waters that never run dry. Sharon, can you find Jeremiah? Uh, I think six fourteen. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say this really quick. Go to fifteen. Jeremiah, there's a verse that says it somewhere around there. I just can't remember off the top of my head. He says that the children of Israel, their ears are their ears are closed. Their ears are uncircumcised. That's what he says. Their ears are uncircumcised, and they cannot. The Bible says they cannot hear the Lord. And then it goes on to say this: they despise the word of the Lord, and they do not delight. This is when I read that this morning. This is what convicted me. It's this is what I heard the Holy Spirit saying: is that when the people of God delight in the Word of God, we hear the voice of God. Like it's not like not. I'm not telling you just to read the Bible. I'm talking about to live your life in delight of the Word. That word delight there means pleasure, the pleasure of the Lord. Oh, did you find it? It was ten find it? To whom I speak, giving warning that they may hear. Indeed, their ears uncircumcised and cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. I just hear the Holy Spirit saying this, learn to delight in the word of the Lord. Learn to delight in the word of the Lord. Every single day, like when you open it, don't just like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, but like, man, open it and like, man, Lord, you're here, you're alive, you're right here in front of me, like reveal yourself to me. That word delight means to take pleasure in the word of the Lord. And and as as I've begun more and more to take pleasure in the word of the Lord, what I've seen and realized is that the word of the Lord isn't just words on a page anymore. It's alive and it, it seems to jump in my face every single morning. And if you're here and you've never really had that experience and say, man, I read the Bible and I just, you know, delight in the word of the Lord. Delight in it. This is how you do it really quick. Go back to verse 9. He says that they have uncircumcised ears. When you cut away the flesh of your life, what happens is you find delight in the Word of the Lord. So, what you need to do as we're going home is if you want to del- find delight in the Word of the Lord, remove the junk of the world, get rid of it. Because what I found really difficult is the Word of the Lord doesn't compete very well with Instagram, you can't do both can't do these things. There has to be a quieting of the world and this joy, this delight of the word will come alive. So Holy Spirit, would you just let us be delighted in your word tonight. Let us delight this in the sword of the spirit I pray, Holy Spirit, that as Christians, we would, just as Paul admonished us and said, to put on the full armor of God, no peace missing. Let us be, let us be um, um, wrapped around with, with the belt of truth. Let us have our breastplate of righteousness on, our shoes of peace, our helmet of salvation, our shield of faith. And most importantly, let us be equipped with the sword of the Spirit. We love you, Holy Spirit. We bless your name. And we ask right now that as we leave this place, we would be leaving under your guidance, under your direction, and in the power of your might, God, not ours. We love you and we bless you. In your name I pray. Come on, everybody, sit tonight. Well listen, what I wanna do as we leave here, there's gonna be a couple pastors and leaders standing up at the altar. And if you have any anything that's going on in your life, maybe maybe you've never even given your heart to the Lord and you're like, Man, I wanna I wanna go all in, I wanna give my life to Jesus. All I'm asking you to do is come to the front and find somebody, pray with them. If you're struggling, remember I have one rule. If you're struggling in here, it's okay to struggle for a little while, but you're not allowed to struggle by yourself. You're not allowed to do it alone. So that's the rule. We gotta we gotta do this as a team. You gotta share the load, amen. Hey, church, remember to live right. Love everyone. Pray hard. I cannot wait to be with you on Sunday morning. I love worshiping the Lord with my Cleveland family. You are the best. All right, y'all. Have a great week.